Um, I actually just had a bit of a change of role. I came originally as an intern here um, and then have, um, I don't know if it's a promotion or a graduation, but I have a new working title now, which is um, associate slash student ministries pastor. Now, besides the pastor part of my title, my favorite part, as you could tell by my hand gesture, is the slash. It makes me feel like a superhero. You know, like, sounds like the Flash, or, or probably more appropriate to my role, it makes me feel like a Bible detective. You know, like, like slicing through the fog of doubt and ignorance to reveal God's truth. Has a nice ring to it, eh? So anytime, so anytime I tell people, you know, I'm the, I'm the, the associate slash student ministry partner, or partner, student ministry pastor, that's what I'm thinking of. And the slash is very appropriate because had he put in, had there been an and symbol in there, had it been associate and student ministry pastor, that sounds a little bit arrogant, doesn't it? Like, he's the associate and he's the student ministry pastor. Like, does anybody else around here do any work? Like, that this guy's got to do two jobs? Like, come on. So, super arrogant, glad that we left that out. Um, I mean, I guess he could have went, went with a hyphen. There could be a hyphen in there. But I mean, I got little girls, and those of you who, um, who've watched the movie Frozen and know of Olaf, I can't think of hyphen without thinking of, hi Sven, you know, my name is Olaf and I like warm hugs, that type of thing, so I'm glad we didn't go with the hyphen because I'd be super distracted. And I'm just super grateful that he didn't put a colon in there, because that would have been super awkward. Who wants a colon in their title, right? Anyways. Enough with the jokes. I'm, I'm so glad that didn't go over as well as I hoped it would. <laughs> we'll scratch that one out before we throw this online. That was just backstage. People were like telling Brian Regan jokes. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. Maybe, ah. Anyways, I'm so happy that you're here. Coming out on the morning of Christmas Eve, it takes some effort. How many of you know that you're here and it's taken added effort to get here this morning? Yeah, a few of you. And the fact that we're not actually having childcare, how many of you know it makes the service a whole lot more effort when you don't have childcare? My wife has her hand way in the air. So, I want to welcome you here. If, the, if, if kids cry, if kids are a bit rowdy, if they're kind of wandering and roaming around, please don't worry. We're just so glad that we get to be together this morning. It's not a big deal. And to maybe help you out, um, on the fountain in the back, there's a whole bunch of coloring pages and some, and some markers, or and some crayons. Feel free, if you're young or old, love to color, go back, grab a picture, some crayons, and color. I won't be offended if you get up now and, and hustle back, or even if there's some of our, uh, maybe our guest services people, if they want to, you know, hand those out or, or whatever. But the angels, if you're a kid here, I want you to grab a picture of an angel and begin to color it, okay? Because that's going to have an important role in the rest of our service in the way that I'm able to get you engaged. We've got angels going, perfect, hang on to that. There's going to be a time where, where that's going to come into play with our service. Um, so you're welcome to do that. Coloring pictures out there, we're happy that you're here. Um, we've been in Advent, an Advent series, which is, Advent is different than the Christmas series or Christmas season. Advent is this posture of actually getting ourselves ready for the coming of the Lord. And believe it or not, according to like um, the traditional church calendar, the Christmas season actually begins December 25th. And it runs for 12 days. 
Isn't that kind of neat? That Advent is this build up to Christmas, this getting us ready, and then on Christmas Day is actually the beginning of the Christmas season. Um, our, uh, our series title is Appropriately Caught Off Guard. You want to catch people off guard? Start wishing them a Merry Christmas after the 26th, after the 27th. They look at you kind of strange. But, but that's actually, we're right in the midst of the Christmas season. So that's kind of what our series has been focused on. Um, we've been revealing presents as well. Uh, we opened up hope for our first Sunday in Advent, um, found out that hope is in a person. Then we scooched over and we opened up faith as a gift that God gives to us, our second Sunday in Advent, and then third was joy. And introducing, actually, our Advent calendar, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call up two of my friends, uh, Judah Atkins and Megan Barkley, and they are going to help us out here. And I've grabbed the piano... And they're going to introduce uh, our service with an Advent reading. Does this thing work? Okay. (laughs) The Advent wreath is a circle with no beginning and no end. It is a symbol of endless love and faithfulness. Out of the darkness, light shines, pointing us in hope to the one who came to overcome the darkness of this world and to be our light in the world to come. Three weeks ago, we lit the prophecy candle and remembered those who first spoke of the promise of the coming Christ child. Two weeks ago, we lit the Bethlehem candle, a symbol of the preparations being made to receive and cradle the Christ child. Last week, we lit the shepherd's candle, remembering the first in a long line of people who joyfully shared the good news of the Savior's birth. The fourth candle on the Advent wreath is called the angel's candle. It reminds us of the hope fulfilled in the first coming of our Savior and of our continuing hope as we anticipate his coming again. A reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From its roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and of fear. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf will and the lion will and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy. On all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people. Four candles burning bright, chasing away darkness with light. Four candles glowing bright, the blessing of God giving new sight. Thank you guys so much. Uh, it was funny, as we were rehearsing or going over this um, before, I was telling them about how not to be nervous and all this stuff, and uh, Megan looks at me and she says, we're theater kids, you, got, you don't have to worry about that. We love the stage. And I realized afterwards, my problem was actually gonna probably be getting them to sit down afterwards, but <laughs> they, they did good. It looked like Judah was gonna go in there for the last joke, but I pried the mic out of his hand. Anyways, so, this Sunday of Advent, the final Sunday, uh, it's a focus on the angel candle. And so this morning, I thought it would be appropriate if we spent a lot of time exploring uh, the angel stories uh, that make up part of the Christmas story. So we're going to be doing that. Uh, there's actually four specific stories that we're going to slowly kind of meander our way through. Because um, I believe... I believe that God has something in the way that the story is told um, that applies to our life. Uh, and always, uh, we're going to unveil uh, the theme uh, of this morning later. And then as you look over on those big double doors over there, that's the gift that we're going to be opening about halfway through our service. So we'll get to that. <clears throat> now, angels, sometimes in Christianity, we've, we've, angels have kind of been either everything or they've been nothing. And I think, I think a healthy balance is somewhere in between. You know, uh, you meet people where everything is all about angels and demons, and it seems like it's a little bit, you get a little bit lost in translation there when that becomes it's the whole focus. And then there's kind of other, the other end of the spectrum where we don't pay, we don't pay any mind to it at all. You know, maybe we don't, we don't believe in angels or, or whatever. We just kind of ignore them or just see them as sort of just a, I don't know, just a creative part of the, of the Bible story. But I think somewhere in between there is, there's a message and, and behind the angels that's really significant for us uh, this morning. But before we get to the angels in the Christmas story, <clears throat> we need to do a little bit of background. Um, 400 years of complete silence on God's part is what introduces the Christmas stories. 400 years where there was no prophet of God being able to speak to the nation of Israel, bring them his word um, or what he was saying. Nothing, just silence. A period of, of non-God activity. Angels even, they play an important role uh, right from Genesis right to Revelation. You find them throughout the biblical account. And yet, for 400 years, there's silence. Nothing. And then as we get to the gospel stories, partic particularly Ma uh, Matthew and Luke, who, who tell great accounts of the Christmas story, uh, the first two chapters in each of them, it seems like you're hitting angels at every single turn. It actually kind of catches you a little bit off guard, especially when you understand that the context and the background behind this is 400 years of complete silence. 
to all of a sudden amazing encounters with God's messengers. Something is clearly up. Something is brewing. Now, I've mentioned Matthew and Luke. Uh, Mark, in his tale of Jesus' story, he actually jumps right into the baptism and doesn't really cover a whole lot. Uh, he's got a different agenda on his mind. The, the, the Christmas story isn't a part of the story that he tells. And, and John, I mean, if you've read the, all of the Gospels, you know that John is kind of like that, like that crazy brother or something where he tells the story a little bit different and, and he sort of has a drop the mic moment when it comes to talking about the Christmas story. But we'll, we'll maybe, we'll, we'll dive into that later if I, if I don't forget. Um, but we'll get there. So I'd like to jump into first, um, our first encounter. Oh, where am I going here? Uh, in Luke. So if you have your Bibles, there's some pew Bibles uh, there in front of you. If you'd like to follow along with me, that would be fantastic. Uh, we're going to be looking at Luke 1, uh, verses 11 to 17. And I'm going to read. Oh, wow. I totally didn't. Judah, could you bring me a Bible, please? I totally didn't bring my Bible. That's not so good, and I don't want to be reading off the screen. Thank, Thank you, Judah. Sorry, it'll take me a minute here. So Luke 1. Oh, we're going to have an encounter here with an angel. Do we, does somebody have an angel colored already out there? Do we have someone? Do you, can I borrow your angel? Do you mind? Can you walk it up or send it up with mom or bring it up here? We'll, we're having, we can't encounter an angel without an angel. Let's see. Whoa, thank you so much. You don't mind, do you mind if I hang on to it? There we go. Look at that. That is a lovely angel. Here, we'll set it right down here. There we go. There we go. Okay, here we go. Our first angel of four. We are jumping in here. Verse 11. Now, as we go through these texts, I want you to, I want you to kind of encounter with me, encounter the story as though you're living in it, hearing it for the first time, right there kind of as a fly on the wall, if you will. Here we go. Um... Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. So this is Zechariah. Appeared to him at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. So an angel comes and is announcing the birth of of John the Baptist, the one that would come before the Messiah. Here's what the angel says, verse 14. He says, He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people to Israel, to the Lord, to their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, as we look at this encounter, there's, there's some things that begin to stick out to me. First is that, I mean, who wouldn't want to encounter an angel? Amen? I always, I, I've kind of like, I'm curious about angels. I think, I think a visit from an angel would be amazing. I mean, what more to banish any shred of doubt that you might have about God activity than for him to send a messenger, an angelic messenger to you to give you a message? Wow. 
I just think that would be awesome. And yet the very first thing I realize here in this story is that when an angel comes to Zechariah in the temple, in the holy place, he is gripped with fear. I kind of think, I kind of feel like maybe the angels are sort of trying something out here because he shows up and you get the sense that he just stands beside the altar and waits. And then it's when Zechariah notices him. Almost kind of like he sort of sneaks up behind Zechariah and hangs out there and just waits. And then when Zechariah, obviously shocked and astonished, sees him, he's gripped with fear. Not only surprised, not only caught off guard, but shocked at, at this angel before him who bears this message. Get this, the angel speaks first and he addresses the fear in Zechariah. Which is fair considering he snuck up on him. He uses Zechariah's name. That this messenger from, a, from heaven knows Zechariah's name. He brings him good news. Remember, he says, your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a son. That would be such good news. I mean, they're already in their old age. Both him and his, his wife, she was unable to have children. And now this is good news. It's an exciting event. Even the angel says that this child is going to bring you great, great joy. And finally, I also notice about that passage that it, it involves many people. Not just Zachariah and his wife. This wasn't just a messenger coming saying, hey, good news. You know, you're going to be, you're going to be pregnant. This wasn't like a biblical form of a pregnancy test. Right? Where an angel shows up and says, you're going to have a baby and you have a baby. This happens, but it's not just for them. There's other people involved. To make ready a people of the Lord. This child has a purpose. God has plans for this child. Moving on in Luke here to our second angel. Do we have a, do I have a volunteer, somebody to lend me their second angel? Angel number two. We got one coming up, we got one coming up. Who, bring it up, bring it up, I need a second angel. Adam, come on, bring it on up. Thank you so much. Bring it up, here we go. We got our, we got our second angelic visitation here. Thanks, Adam, so much. There we go, oh, nice. This one's carrying a star, nice wings. There we go, we'll set this one up here. Here we go, and our second story, our second angelic encounter now is found in Luke 1, and it's 28 to 33. Here we go, now this is uh, the angel Gabriel now, the same angel actually, coming to Mary. And this is what he says, and I want you to follow the pattern of the, what he says. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Again, we have our second angelic encounter in the book of Luke. And it's different. Rather than the angel kind of just 
standing in Mary's presence and waiting for her to notice, the angel tries a different approach, a greeting, a favorable greeting. And you can see it didn't do much good because Mary becomes troubled over this greeting and doesn't, doesn't understand it. She's troubled or she too is filled with fear. She must be thinking, you've got the wrong person. Who am I to be favored by the Lord? And yet the angel speaks, and notice this, what's the first thing the angel does? Addresses the fear in Mary. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Fear not, he says. And he uses her name. Again, this angelic messenger from God knows the name, the personal name of the individual it's talking to. It does not have the wrong person. Again, depends on what perspective, but he brings her good news. She is going to have the Messiah, a baby. That is great news on one hand and incredibly scary news on another. The Son of the Most High. Wow. And again, did you catch the end of it? It's not just for Mary. It's not just even for the Israelites. It's for all people. It involves more people. There's a purpose behind this God activity. Now, I see that there's a, a pattern emerging. So let's, let's test it out in Matthew's account of a Christmas angel. So we've been in Luke, and it makes sense that they would all line up. So let's, let's take a look at, at Matthew's account of an angel here. So our third account of an angel. Do, we have, do I have a third angel that wants to get run up here on stage? Do you want to bring up your angel? That would be great. Thank you so much. Here we go. This is our third encounter in the book of Matthew. Thank you so much. Look at that. That is great. We'll set that there. Here we go. A third angel in the book of Matthew. And you'll have to forgive me. I have to find it. And this is Matthew 18 uh, to 25. This is out of chapter 1. In the book of Matthew, so this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she's found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And here's where it gets interesting. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Oh, interesting here. It's a little bit different. The style's a little bit different because, of course, it's another author telling the story. But there are some remarkable similarities still to our accounts in Luke. The context is, is that Joseph thinks maybe Mary's been sleeping around or that something's happened. 
But he's a gracious guy, and he doesn't want to put her to public humility or disgrace, so he wants to divorce her quietly. Then an angel shows up, this time in a dream, and addresses him again by name. The personal. He also addresses the fear in Joseph. He says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Again, the angel brings good news. Mary didn't sleep around on you. What's going on here is God activity of the utmost divine kind. So don't be afraid. Now, there's no mention of joy in this. But I kind of get the sense that Joseph didn't tuck tail and run. Joseph stood in there and was obedient to what the angel had said. I think that's significant. Again, it involves many people, not just the child for Mary and Joseph. It's clear that there is God activity behind this proclamation, this announcement. So, there we go. You guys have been doing awesome. We're on to our last angel story now. And we're going to spend the rest of our time here. So I need, do we have one more angel? Do you have, yeah, run it up, run it up. Thank you. So, oh, that is love. Did you color that yourself? That is awesome. She's like, no. Had a little help from mom and dad. Oh, perfect. Do, do you want to hang on to that? I'll call that, I'll call for that one in just a second. I promise. Yeah, we're, you hang on to it. Here we go. We got, a, we got f- our four angels up here. Now, there's still angels in the crowd. That's important. You're all going to get called up to bring your angel up here in a minute, okay? I just need you to be patient. There's still time to color one more angel if there's some out in the crowd. They're like, I've got to get in on this action. Who gets encouraged to color in church? It's amazing. So here we go. We're back in the book of Luke. Here we go. Now we're, this time we've graduated to chapter 2 of Luke. Here we have some angels now visiting, an angel visiting some shepherds in a field. And here's how it goes. Uh, Two, eight to ten. And there were, she- there were shepherds living out in fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be caused of great joy for all people. It's like he's reading my notes. Did you hear that? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be the cause of great joy. That is for all people. Isn't that amazing? So the pattern we find whenever angels show up in our Gospels is of this. That they say, Fear not, even though these creatures are probably the type that we should be afraid of. In every account, those who witnessed them, who stood in their presence, were gripped by fear, and yet the first words out of their mouth were to still fear, to say, do not be afraid. 
While these amazing heavenly creatures seem to strike fear in those who encounter them, their goal is not to be feared, but to be heard as messengers of God, carrying the words of God. Secondly, we find that they announce good news in every case. This is the centerpiece of their message. This is the center of what they're about. While the prophets of old usually brought correction, judgment, proclamation sometimes of God's wrath for disobedient, these messengers only bring good news. I thought that was so cool. Thirdly, great joy. Not just good news from their perspective, but a good news that makes a difference. Good news that has an impact. Good news that changes your emotional state. Good news that imparts something directly to you. Great joy. The message makes a difference and is a source of joy and delight. And finally, number four, it's not just for those who are receiving the message, but it incorporates more people. All people. And while it's gladly and happily for you, this good news, it's not only for you. This good news is for all people. I find that so amazing. And now we come to the very best part in the Christmas story. Luke here in this text has been telling, taking 20 verses to tell the birth of Jesus. And here we find on verse 11 is meant to be like a crescendo. We have the angel out in the fields visiting the shepherds. This angel said, you know, I bring you, do not fear, I bring you good news, great joy, all people. And then what does he say next? Verse 11, he says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. This is the angel, heaven's announcement of the birth of Christ. And it's to shepherds. I find that so amazing. You know, this, the Israelites have been waiting a long time for a Messiah. And in fact, there have been lots of people who have risen up during that era, during the first century, and even during the 400 years prior. People that they thought were going to be the Messiah. As, as, our, as our text from Isaiah has said, it's the Messiah is the one on whom the Spirit of the Lord comes and dwells and he rules. And there have been lots of rulers in, in Israelite history that had risen up. And in their mind, they, they thought that the Messiah was going to throw off rule of another nation and bring Israel to the centerfold again of world history as being the elite, being God's people, that the Messiah was going to lead them in a political realm to make things right. And here we have the announcement of just such a person. 
The Messiah has been born. And this is where it gets really cool. And this is where I need some help from the audience. I'm going to read verse 13. And then I want you guys as the congregation to read in a bold voice. It'll be up on the screen and it'll be bold for you. But right now, here's what happens. Verse 13, it says, Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God. So a great company. So I need all the leftover angels. Are there angels left out there? Who's going to be my great company? I need you to bring up your angels. If there's any angels left, bring them up. Yeah, Atticus, thank you so much. Bring up your angels and just come put them on the stage here. Yeah, bring them up. Bring them up. Oh, yeah. you. Put, that's perfect. You put that right up there. Set them up. Oh, you guys are an excellent great host. A great company. Oh, you guys are like artists. That is fantastic. Set them out. Oh, you guys have done so well. A great company of angels. Imagine that. Up until now, we've been have 400 years of silence and then snippets, droplets, angels showing up to seemingly random people and making amazing announcements. And now we come in the book of Luke, it's the actual birth announcement of Jesus' coming and heaven can't keep quiet. A great company of angels come out, just as you've seen brought up here. A great company of angels saying, and will you read this together? Glory to God in the highest. Fascinating. I don't know about you, but I think Luke is trying to tell us something here. Of course, the message of, of individual angels is important. Absolutely. But when an announcement is encased by a great company of angels. Now, I did, did a little bit of a research there, and my, my footnote simply says thousands of angels. Multitude. Thousands. Imagine that. Not just one. If one is terrifying, how many would thousands be? It'd be breathtaking. I'm sure we'd drop to our knees, fall on our faces. And yet, look at the pronouncement that they make. They say, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. It's kind of like they're saying, give credit where credit is due. God. God is the one. He's doing this. Praise to him. And what does he give us? He gives us peace. Wow. This is what they'd been waiting for. A nation that has been in turmoil, constantly ruled by other nations, struggling to get by, struggling to find their place. And here it comes. The Messiah is the one who's going to give us peace. Don't you think...
As I read these stories, part of me felt, you know what? It's, it's probably not hard to be part of God's plan when an angel shows up and gives you instruction. It probably becomes pretty clear when you're racked by fear in the presence of this angelic messenger and he gives you instructions, it's probably pretty difficult to get it wrong or to try and convince yourself that that was only a dream or, you know, or what that was all about. It has me wondering, why doesn't God just send an angel to everyone? Don't you think? They're clearly the best ones suited for the job. They've got the presence, right? And when they show up, people listen. And people obey. So why doesn't God just send an angel to everybody? Don't you think? Don't you think an angel would be better suited to reach your neighbor than you? I think that. Don't you think an angel would be better suited to get people's attention? I think that. So why doesn't God just do that? Strike fear and let them know what's up. I'd like to propose to you that God's got something better in mind. Sending an angel means that there's no purpose for us and God's got something better in mind. So let's open this present and let's see what God has in mind. Let's see if there's something better. I don't know if they're ready yet or not. We'll see here. Are you guys ready? Are we ready? Here we go. Oh, there we go. It's the hand of the Lord. Here we go. Here we go. There we go. There we go. Hi. Look at that. Hi, son. Hi. You got your shoes off. Come here. Hi. There we go. Now, this is my son, Matthew, but he's standing in for Jesus today. Here we go. God is not interested in sending an angel to your neighbor because, or to you because he's already sent you the absolute best gift that heaven had to offer. The gift of his son, Jesus. That's what the angels are foretelling, is that this gift, this gift of God is not just a Messiah who's going to bring in a political peace, but the gift of his very son to us. I think that's so amazing. In the readings from Isaiah 11, I thought it was interesting how it starts off with there's a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So coming out of this cut-down tree, this stump of Jesse, who is King David's father, that there'd be a shoot. And the shoot represents the Messiah. Another David, one in his likeness. It's a messianic prophecy. And then a little bit later, if you, those of you who are listening at the end of that reading, all of a sudden now, it says from the root, the root of Jesse. And it's still talking about the Messiah. 
So how is it that our Messiah can be both the shoot coming out of Jesse, but also be the root of Jesse? And it's because he's not just of human lineage, but he is the Holy One of God. And how does God choose to send his son? It's not riding on a horse as a full-grown man to bring rule and reign to this earth, though that does have a place later on in the story. I assure you. How does he entrust his son to us? He lets him be born in a manger, in the humblest of places. Isn't that neat? Do you want to hang out here with me for a bit or do you want to go with mom? Yeah? Jen, I'll maybe hand them off to you. Like the... Better than an angel, God sent us his son. Talk about being caught off guard. A Messiah, not just being one on whom his spirit rests, but God's very son. This is that mic drop moment I told you that John has. In John's gospel, he said, in the beginning was the word, the eternal word of God. It was with God in the beginning. And essentially that through him, all things have come to be. And I love the way the message says it. It says, the eternal word from the beginning became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. That's John dropping a theological mic drop bomb. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just about the angels. And their message is important. And each one of us needs to decide how we will respond to that message. Now, it, I won't go through it because it'd, it'd, be, it'd take up too much time, but in the case of Zechariah, he actually doubts what the angel tells him. But God doesn't abandon him in an abandoned ship. He brings in a corrective action to bring Zechariah back on course so that Zechariah's doubt doesn't exclude him from the, the God activity that is about to take place. Wow! Mary responds with, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Oh, what an example of how we are to respond to God's messages to us. Joseph in Matthew responds with just like cutthroat obedience. There's no question, nothing. He encounters the angel, changes his direction, and goes full steam in obedience to what that angel had instructed. Let's look now here in Luke 2, 15 to 20, how the shepherds respond. I find this so fascinating. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, 
the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So after the angels had left, they just witnessed that amazing splendor, they responded to the invitation. 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. These are the first ones on the scene. Who was the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things he, they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Isn't that neat? Verse 15, the shepherds respond to the invitation. Verse 16, they witness Christ for themselves. Verse 17, they tell others now about what they have seen, i.e., the Messiah has come. Flesh and blood, he is here. Verse 18, others turn. Others are amazed by this message that they spread. Verse, eight, nine, uh, sorry. Verse 19, Mary treasures these things in her heart. Verse 20, the shepherds return to work, but they're different people. They return to work glorifying and praising God just like the angels did the ones that they had encountered. They had found the messengers to be truthful and accurate and had experienced the message for themselves. Therefore, those who receive the message respond to it and respond to it encounter the Christ child and so now become messengers of that same message. Guys, we are here to retell the story of Christ with our lives. But not just as a message, not just as you've been instructed to do this, so go and tell, but from a place where we have encountered Jesus for ourselves. It's... It's not a piece that's just theoretical that Christ brings to our life. It's a piece that is actual, a living piece. This Christ, he is our hope. He is our faith. He is our joy. He is our peace. I'm going to close with this story. In the 60s, there was a husband and a wife who'd felt as though they were called to the mission field to New Guinea. And uh, some of you might know this story. They head out on this mission and they go to the, these tribes that are just tribal people living in West New Guinea. And the tribes are really far spread apart and it's, it's a danger zone. Uh, the tribes are known to be cannibalistic. They're known to be headhunters. Uh, and things are messed up. Very primitive people. So you can only imagine when white people show up with their kind of fancy tools and new ways of doing things, they attract a certain amount of attention. 
Don and Carol Richardson show up and they begin kind of learning languages, interacting with the people, and they begin to find something very interesting about these tribes is that they are at constant war with each other. One of the tip-offs is, is that when they finally got room to kind of be able to communicate clearly, they begin telling them the Jesus story. And you know what's bad when all of a sudden in the middle of the Jesus story, you find that the crowd that you're talking to, the people that you're witnessing to, begin to cheer for Judas. Right? And that's what happened. Here in their cultures, they valued uh, dishonesty. In fact, it was so twisted that what they would do is they would actually try and befriend other warrior people from other tribes, lure them into a friendship, and then, and then kill them. And that that was something esteemed. That was something noble amidst them. And really, uh, the Richardsons had no idea how to, how do you even begin to share with these people the truth of the gospel when they're so bent on violence. And so they actually came to a place where they, they said, we need to leave. And so they were growing, they were working quite closely with three tribes, and the elders came together. Uh, two of the elders came to them and said, like, please don't go, we want you to stay. And the Richardsons were like, it is too violent, we need to leave so that we can't come back until there's, until there's peace. And they said, no, 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 stay till tomorrow, we're making peace tomorrow. So the Richardsons go and go to sleep. The next morning, they wake up and they witness a ceremony that changes their approach to evangelizing to these tribal people. And it's this. In the morning, one of the males from their tribe takes his own child and gives it to the other tribe to raise. And in the same instance, the other tribe, a father, takes his son and gives it to the other tribe to raise. And you can imagine the horror of the mothers. As I held Matthew in my arms, I couldn't imagine handing him off to anybody else but his mother for safekeeping. And these tribes were exchanging children, these families, these men were exchanging their sons to be raised by a totally different tribe. And the reason was is that these children became the peace child. And, were ra and as long as these children were alive and were looked after, there was peace between those tribes. When the Richardsons had heard this, they immediately knew their connection to spreading the gospel to these people. That Jesus became the peace child to give peace with us before God. And as long as Jesus lives, there is peace between us and God. Isn't that amazing? Because Jesus lives forever. He is the peace child. Even after they're preaching and presenting this, they had very limited success in people coming to the Lord from these tribes. And they were confused. As the story goes, uh, the, the Richardsons were on a, a boat in crocodile-infested waters, but I mean, as long as you're in a boat, you're all right. 
And they were headed off somewhere with their two children. And their boat capsizes. And they manage to grab both of their children and get the shore or get the boat righted and get back in. And it's when the tribes saw the living peace that was upon the Richardsons during this counter and after, that opened their hearts to receiving the gospel. Even though they had the message, they heard it, it was in an illustration they could understand, something kept them from receiving it. Until they saw that it was not a theoretical peace, but a living peace that resided in the hearts of these missionaries that all of a sudden opened them up to say, yes, we want that kind of peace. And now what? We're almost in 2020, so for almost 60 years, missions work has been going on with these tribal people and having amazing amounts of success. Tribes that were bent on deception and destruction and killing now are filled with the gospel and live at peace with each other. So I'd like to end as I just call our our worship team to come up uh, for the last, last number. I'd like to ask you this morning, maybe you're here and you, you have never accepted Christ as your peace between you and God. I want to invite you to do that today. If that's going on in your heart and you want to make that decision, I want you to know that myself and, and Pastor Steve will be up at the front after our service, after it's dismissed. We would love to pray with you. On the other hand, if you're here and you go, Chris, I hear what you're talking about. I've accepted Christ, and yet I'm not experiencing peace. It's not a living reality. Again, I'd like to say we would love to pray with you. So if that's you, I'd love for you to come down and receive prayer after you're dismissed this morning. And finally, I'd like to leave you with this. God's not interested in sending an angel to spread his message because he's sent his son. He's more interested in sending you. That as you carry the living presence of the living God, of the peace child with you, while you're at work, while you're at home, while you're shoveling snow, He wants to use that to catch your neighbors, to catch the people that he sends across your path. He wants to use that for you to catch them off guard, that they'd be caught off guard by your hope. They'd be caught off guard by your faith. They'd be caught off guard by your joy. And they'd be caught off guard by your peace. And in that, that you would be able to share with them the message of this season that Christ wants to come into their lives in the most humblest of ways and to reside there.